Welcome. I'm Panayota Daphneotis, and I'm your host for an intellectual property podcast series brought to you by Dentons Canada. This podcast series covers a broad range of intellectual property topics on patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and related IP disputes with an emphasis on the practical, giving companies of all sizes and industries the IP intel they should be thinking about. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There, you can access all of our intellectual property podcasts as well as an episode description for each topic and information about our speakers. We are currently living in unprecedented times and we hope all of our listeners are in good health and staying positive. It is worth mentioning that we, like many of you, are working remotely and so we are recording these podcasts from our respective new home offices and we are excited to be able to do so and bring this content to our listeners. And now, over to our podcast topic and speakers. Today's topic of discussion is intended to highlight key intellectual property issues that are relevant to founders, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. Everything a business does begins with an idea, and intellectual property rights are a means to protecting those ideas. With me today uh, is Todd Bailey. Todd is a patent lawyer and an IP strategist with 25 years experience working in law firms and as in-house IP counsel. And he's worked with companies of all sizes and a wide range of technology sectors. Today, he is Chief IP Officer and General Counsel at the Canadian supercluster Scale AI. We'll talk about artificial intelligence, or AI, and the Canadian Supercluster Initiative more in a few moments. And as for myself, I'm Panayota Daphniotis, a partner and national lead for intellectual property at Dentons Canada. I have 25 years experience as an IP lawyer working in all areas of intellectual property, helping clients manage and grow and commercialize IP portfolios, protect innovation and manage IP risk. So Todd, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited that you're here with me today. Thank you for, uh, for being here. Um, we know that IP rights can be used to attract investment. Um, it can enhance the value of a company. It can become collateral for financing, can be sold, it can be licensed. It can really create revenue opportunities for companies. And I kind of like to look for data. I figure, you know, numbers do tell a story. And I was uh, taking a look at a report from an Ontario expert panel uh, that was released earlier this year. And uh, what I noticed in this report I thought was really interesting, and I'd like to get your feedback on it. Um, in that report, what I saw is that Canadian startups holding registered IP rights are three times more likely to have expanded domestically and over four times more likely to have expanded internationally. When you hear those numbers, Todd, are you surprised at how staggering an impact IP protection has on a company's success? 
Well, no, I'm not, and, and thanks a lot for having me with you uh, today, but I'm not surprised at all on, on two fronts. Um, one is obviously those registered IP rights are, are helping to build value for those companies uh, and help secure their, uh, their competitive advantage against, uh, against others, their competitors in their markets. Um, but uh, having those rights registered um, also means that these companies are probably you know, relatively organized in how they approach IP. Uh, it's not just an accident that they ended up with these registered rights. And so you know, having their, their IP house, so to speak, uh, in, in better shape and in, in order uh, is helping them as well in terms of protecting their unregistered uh, IP rights, such as trade secrets and, and proprietary information. And that leadership and, and culture that's, that's likely in place at these companies is really um, also what's helping leverage uh, their success. Yeah, and I really like that term IP house. Um, I, might, I might borrow that in the future. Um, so you've actually just said a word that I personally love um, and that I think it's so important uh, when we're talking about um, IP from a corporate perspective, and that is culture. Uh, so let's talk about that for a moment. Um, you know, we know IP rights are enforceable against third parties and they prevent, essentially prevent competitors from copying the business, the services, the technology, everything that companies pour so much uh, time and money into. But I think that realizing the true potential value of IP for a company requires a number of things, but culture is really at the center. Um, of that. And, uh, you know, the, the saying, I guess, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, maybe it's a, it's a saying that is uh, slightly overused, but I do think it's pretty applicable in my view. And, and interestingly, in my uh, in-house experience, I have worked with really some tremendous technology and innovation leaders that really got, got that culture uh, should be a priority, and they made it their priority, and they did see um, great benefits from doing so. So I know you have uh, really deep experience of success in-house precisely on this particular point. So I would, um, you know, just really ask you what, uh, maybe you can just talk to me what the greatest challenge was uh, in building an IP culture, a culture that understands IP uh, in a business. Uh, well, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I've worked in uh, some small organizations and some pretty large organizations, and uh, the challenges uh, magnify when the size of the organization magnifies. But, uh, you know, that executive level support that you were talking about is really critical. Um, you know, and that, you know, to, 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 to the executive support for, for, for building the IP culture, for integrating it into the culture of the company, um, and, you know, that really hinges on presenting the benefits uh, to the executive and to the business uh, in clear terms that they can understand. Uh, and so, you know, that, you know, the, the first thing for sure is you need to have that executive level support because you, as one person in an organization, you're not going to be able to build it. And as much as you'd like to, you're not going to be able to build it from the bottom up. Um, the second thing is, uh, you know, you really need to have an understanding uh, within your workforce of what each individual person's role is, where do they fit into this, um, the larger picture? Um, you know, what is, what is it that they need to do uh, in terms of routinely identifying and, and protecting innovation at the company? Um, and that means, you know, training, of course, but also 
for them to understand, you know, on the ground in their piece of the company, you know, what innovations are important to protect, when and how to do it, and so on. Yeah, no, that's really great. And on the leadership front, I think great leaders that uh, build uh, culture in this space uh, do really achieve great things. And so, so let me just take that a little bit further and ask you, what has been the single most effective approach in your experience to building a culture that really gets that, um, that you know, potential competitive advantage that IP rights present? Well, you know, if, if you think about what culture is, uh, culture is, is sort of uh, a, a collection of, of shared values and shared experiences within a company. And, it, and it's, right. uh, yeah. it's, it's also perhaps a shared vision of the future. So, you know, what I try to do in building an IP culture is, is to build an IP culture that resonates with the existing company culture. Yeah, that's you know, a great point. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, you know, you're not just layering something new on top, slapping something down and saying this is the way that it's going to be. But if your IP approaches are rooted uh, in, the, in what the company already thinks is important, um, you know, that's going to be, be really, uh, you know, fundamental to building something that's a lasting has a lasting effect. Uh, for example, if your company is is focus, if their their competitive focuses or or you know product or service focuses on improving user experiences, then you want your IP culture to be built around IP that brings advantages to users. You know, the, the, there has to be an alignment of, um, between your IP objectives and your business objectives. But either way, uh, what's essential to culture is the concept of integrating IP steps into everyday processes at the company. Because when it comes down to it, culture is a big word that is the collection of everything that happens you know, day to day within a company. I, identifying IP and, and protecting IP should not be a, a special event. Um, it, shouldn't be, it, it, should, it should be uh, you know, part of a person's everyday tasks. You know, for example, when a project kicks off, they they need to set IP objectives and they need to plan on how they're going to meet those objectives. Project status meetings, um, you know, should have standing agenda items around IP. And, and when a project wraps up, again, you need to, like the rest of the project, um, you know, look at what those initial objectives are, where they met, you know, what needs to be done to close the gaps. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I like the way you've uh, you've laid that out. Um, probably a good time, and we've been speaking rather, uh, rather generally and high level about, um, about uh, intellectual property and, and, and really getting traction in, in a company. Um, probably a good time to really just highlight the forms of protection that are rather typical through, you know, in the exercise that a company would undertake to, um, to identify its IP. And so I like to imagine them sort of sitting in a box with four different squares in it. And, you know, trademarks are in one square and that's really what protects who you are as a company, it protects your identity. And so, you know, there are so many uh, brands we know extremely well and uh, we know them as being the corporate identity of the company. And that's really what the trademark protection uh, provides you have uh, copyrights and that really you know protects the expression of an idea i talked at the beginning of this podcast about everything uh, begins with an idea and how IP rights protect those ideas well copyrights protect the expression of the idea and you have patents it protects a functionality how something works and so we can think about the apple you know iphone or the um 
ice rink resurfacing machine, better known as the Zamboni, right? Uh, whether we're talking about the zipper, all of these things have a functionality that's been protected through patent protection. And then finally, there's uh, trade secrets, and that's really uh, a protection for valuable information. Um, and that's a really key area we're going to talk a little bit more about. So, you know, trade secrets, uh, some uh, well-known examples are the Coca-Cola formula or the, uh, the KFC uh, recipe, maybe the Google search algorithm. There are many, uh, many examples in everyday life um, that would fall into this, into this category. So... Um, I guess what, I, what I'd like to hear from you more about, Todd, is what do you think are the, the leading IP issues that are often overlooked in these uh, areas of IP uh, that are often overlooked by companies today? Well, you know, patents are, uh, you know, a marquee item when it comes to IP, and they grab a lot of the limelight and the headlines about, you know, the day-to-day -day importance of, of uh, protecting um, protecting IP and copyright, there's a lot of discussion around that. But, you know, for me, what's, what's overlooked uh, is, is the concept of trade secrets and, and protecting, you know, proprietary or confidential information generally. Um, you know, I sort of lump those all together. There's some distinctions that the lawyers can talk about. But essentially what we're doing is talking about protecting information that's, that's valuable to the company. And if you, if you think of, uh, as I like to uh, uh, think about the, what I call the IP iceberg, um, things like pat patents and copyrights are the tip, um, but what you have below the, the waterline, 90% of, of an IP of any company, especially in the technology spaces, are uh, you know, protectable information that, that can be protected using the techniques of trade secrets and proprietary information and so on, the, the drawings, the specs, the development processes, the internal tools, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, this is immensely valuable uh, intellectual property that, that many companies don't actually even uh, recognize is intellectual property or that they should be protecting. Uh, and, the and the challenge with protecting those really um, is it's not just something you file in, a, in an office somewhere and, and you somehow get protection. It's, it's something that you need to engage your entire workforce uh, to protect the information of the company, understand why it needs to be protected and, and what their role is. Right. Yeah. Understanding the value of that, um, uh, of that information is, I think, first key and protecting this sort of secret sauce, I guess, that resides b below the waterline. Um, it really can't be overlooked. That's, that's, um, that's a great point. Um, maybe another area that sort of comes to mind for me is, you know, IP ownership and employees. And I'd really like to get your thoughts on that. You know, we know that where IP is created within the um, employment context, there are risks to an employee's, uh, an employer's, sorry, potential ownership claims. It's not a given that the employer will own any IP generated by its employees. And I think that's sort of the first mistake that I seem to uh, to find companies uh, making or an assumption that they make. Uh, ownership of IP in the employment context is really subject to a lot of complex rules um, that can vary greatly between the different kinds of IP protection that may, may apply to the work product. And, um, and I think IP ownership in work product is, should be at the top of the list for many you know, uh, employers because it is probably at the top of the list for most commonly litigated disputes with employees. Uh, based on uh, based on my observation, so 
you know, what do you think about that? What what have you seen, or, or what are your thoughts on on this uh, on that topic? Well, there's there's two uh, two issues that come to mind there. Uh, the first is is that many employers, as I mentioned a moment ago, don't even understand really that there is intellectual property in their business, uh, you know, and, and that they need to take steps to not only protect it but to make sure that they own it as between uh, them and their employees. Um, and so, you know, the f half the battle is understanding that you have an IP issue that you need to, uh, to deal with. Um, but then the second, uh, the second, I think, challenge that, that is a general misconception, um, you know, almost across the board that whoever is paying the bills will own the IP and that's just the way it is. And in fact, it's not that at all. Um, as you know, the, the first owner of IP is the person that created it, whether that's an employee or a vendor or a service provider. And if the contract um, does not you know, make clear who should own that IP or if it should be transferred to the employer or, or to the customer or whoever, um, then you're really taking your chances as to who owns that IP and you may find as an employer that you don't actually own the IP that your employees is creating. So, you know, those are, those are um, you know, a couple of key uh, roadblocks. That yeah, come. yeah, no, that, that's right. I, I think, you know, I would put this in bold and highlight it, underline it. Um, you know, there really should be clear contract terms in place. Um, that effectively assign those IP rights to make the employer the owner of the IP and eliminate that uncertainty of ownership from, uh, for the employer. I think that that's rather basic and fundamental and sometimes surprising to see, uh, in my experience, how often it is overlooked. Um, so now I'd like to, I'd like to switch gears because, you know, again, I'm, I'm really excited that you're here with me and given your current role, this is a great topic for us to dive into and hear more from you about. Um, let's talk a little bit more broadly about what Canada is doing to promote innovation and, um, you know, and, and promote the creation and protection of intellectual property. You know, we know that in 2017, the Canadian government made a, a big announcement um, committing to invest about $950 million over a five-year period um, through, I guess, what's called the, the Innovation Supercluster Initiative. And um, as part of its sort of, uh, you know, it being part of the, it's the, the government's broader innovation and skills plan that was also announced. And um, as I understand it, the objective of the Innovation Supercluster Initiative is to transform existing regional innovation ecosystems, or I guess clusters, into um, in Canada into these super clusters, you know, innovation hotbeds with long-term competitive advantage, um, you know, outsized job creation, growth, global recognition, something along the lines of what what we see in Silicon Valley. And as I mentioned uh, in our intro, Todd, you are the general counsel and head of IP for Scale AI which is Canada's AI supercluster, and that's uh, located here in uh, Montreal, Quebec. Um, I would love to hear from you about this supercluster. I think our listeners would be really interested in learning more, and maybe you can share with us some of your, um, any observations that you can make about how this government initiative is promoting innovation, you know, what your observations are about the true impact to Canadian intellectual property, um, are as part of this initiative. Well, it, it's it's a really interesting uh, program. The 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 
Innovation Supercluster Initiative of the federal government selected five superclusters like Scale AI across the country. Uh, we are the only uh, supercluster that's devoted exclusively to artificial intelligence and the adoption of and commercialization of AI um, in, uh, within a Canadian ecosystem. Um, and you know the way that's achieved and the way that the, 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 the program is, is, uh, is working is that um, the government has allocated money for investment uh, in uh, industry projects, which, which Scale AI is, is administering uh, in the AI ecosystem. And it focuses on co-investing in industry projects. And, and, and by that, we mean that uh, the industry partners uh, who are adopting and, and commercializing a, AI in their, in their businesses are, are investing a certain amount. And then the federal government is, uh, through, through Scale AI, is, is uh, is matching, uh, you know, industry matching funds to uh, to help um, to help offset the costs of, of that development, and so you know, co collaboration is really a, a cornerstone. So we're not just trying to drive uh, the adoption of AI and 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 commercialization of AI, but we're trying to to drive, as you said, the development of an ecosystem. And you know, within an ecosystem, this is companies that are interdependent on one another, and you know shop locally, so to speak, in terms of looking for their, their expertise and resources to do their projects. So, uh, you know, we're investing in projects that are demonstrating good collaboration between the industry adopters and the small and medium uh, sized enterprises that are, that are working in the space uh, to, uh, to help actually, frankly, foster into development of the skills on both sides of that relationship uh, so that they work together, but also, you know, learn from each other as they go. The second aspect of, of, of the, what we're looking for, what Scale AI is looking for in its projects is the ability to develop, uh, sorry, to leverage um, developed IP in the projects uh, in other applications outside um, those projects to sort of create what I call sort of like a one plus one equals three uh, math in terms of building the ecosystem. You spend a certain amount of time developing AI models and and systems that are work in one context that may help bootstrap the development of something in a, in a similar but non-competitive context. And if the participants uh, in the original project can also you know, benefit through licensing their developed IP or, or sharing their lessons learned with other uh, participants in the ecosystem in a way that doesn't harm their competitive interests, then that's really what we're looking to, uh, to try to help um, you know, really uh, bootstrap the uh, ecosystem. That's great. Yeah, and it actually just what comes to mind as well, pretty timely here, is just a few weeks ago, the BDC announced um, a $160 million IP financing envelope for, um, for companies really to, again, promote and bolster um, corporate growth and IP growth. Uh, growth of intangibles and so we're really seeing some interesting initiatives and, and I'm learning more about that initiative um, at this time and and just on the AI front there's so many IP issues uh, that are interesting to discuss with reference to artificial intelligence but I think that's um, the subject of a, of a separate so podcast down the line so maybe yes. I can invite you back for that be, be glad to. yeah um, so so just you touched on something interesting and, I, and we can't I don't think we can overlook it for this discussion I think it is relevant to to our listeners and this is about you know, IP that is generated in collaboration and co-development uh, or research projects with third parties. And I think, um, you know, determining rights and ownership of potential IP 
that results from these types of uh, collaborations, co-developments, um, whatever they are called, where you're working with third parties. You know, again, it is, you know, clearly laying out expectations on IP creation and ownership in the agreement before the collaboration begins um, is, uh, is really key. Um, and um, it can be very straightforward. Um, but um, sometimes it is overlooked, and so, um, so, so thanks for raising uh, raising that because certainly how companies work with other companies um, in this day and age where collaboration is so common and, and co development um, is also uh, just as common I think is really important. So I think this brings us um, to the end of our time. Uh, we've we've hit on a lot of uh, different points. I mean, I think what we really wanted to emphasize for our listeners was IP is often the most valuable asset uh, of a company in today's intangibles economy, and considering protection is fundamental to the growth of your company. Uh, I think if I was going to recap real quick what the 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 high points we hit was, you know, build an IP culture in your company. Uh, routinely identify and protect your IP, protect your company's, well, I guess what I called secret sauce, right? Trade secrets are, are valuable. Uh, employment agreements, make sure they're clear so that the company does own the IP that is generated by its employees. And um, be diligent, I think, in, in documenting IP ownership expectations. And it really is about you know, managing expectations. Um, in your collaboration agreements uh, and other agreements with third parties. I think if I was going to recap, those are, you know, the five, I think if I counted right, five top points that we, uh, that we hit here today. So Todd, thank you so much for being uh, with us today and sharing your insights with our listeners. I think uh, you really brought some amazing points uh, to us, so I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Penelope. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Information provided during this episode should not be taken as legal advice. Denton's Canadian Intellectual Property Group has expertise that spans all areas of IP, patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and related disputes and litigation. Our speakers from this podcast episode or any other professional in our group would be pleased to speak with you about today's topic or any other IP topic of interest. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our IP series. Stay well.